0: That 2018 was a bit of a roller coaster for you, wasn't it? I bet that you probably had some incredibly high moments in 2018, and you probably had some low points as well. Anybody say, yeah, that describes me. It wasn't all high. It wasn't all low. It was a bit of a curve like this. Yeah, a few of you guys, you probably had some high points. Maybe you graduated finally, and you're like, oh, yes, I've made it. No more school. Now I get to pay debt, but at least I'm done with school, right? Maybe you bought your first house, what a special thing. Man, it's always amazing to finally own a place, so maybe that describes your situation this year. Perhaps you got promoted, maybe you had a baby, perhaps you lost some weight and got into shape. Maybe you finally won around a round of Fortnite, like you've been trying forever and you made it. Maybe you finally got your kid to turn off Fortnite. I don't know, you probably had some victories, some things that happened in 2018 that you're like, wow, that was amazing. And again, you probably had some low points as well. Perhaps you had to battle an injury, maybe hurt yourself in some way. And so you've been fighting through this a little bit and it hasn't been easy and you've been trying to deal with it. Perhaps like me in 2018, you said some things that you regret at some point. There were words that you wish you could take back and you you, you just can't. Maybe you lost your job. Some people got promoted and maybe you were downsized and you lost your job and now you're doing something that you really didn't ever think you would be doing or even want to do. Perhaps you're here, and you're an Edmonton Eskimos fan and you had to watch the Calgary St. Peters win the Grey Cup. Maybe you've had some low points in 2018. You've had some highs, you've had some lows. And as we look into 2019, it can be very easy to say, gosh, I wish every moment could be a high moment. I wish everything could be a peak and never a valley. I wish life could always go great and never ever bad. I wish I could only take steps forward and never steps backwards. In fact, if you're anything like me, it can be really hard to feel like you've made any progress. Do you remember when you were on the eve of 2018, like back in 2017, and you were like, all right, 2018 is gonna be my year. This is gonna be my year, I'm gonna do it, right? And yet, as you look back on 2018, it was a few steps forward, it was a few steps back, and you're wondering, am I getting any better? Am I making any progress? Is there any point to trying to have a fresh start in 2019 considering the fact that I'm not sure 2018 was any better than 17 or 16 or even 15. Anybody with me on that? You feel a little bit of that frustration? Yes, absolutely. I do as well. Now, here's the deal. The scripture is Full of people who had the same struggle, struggles that you and I do. We tend to think about Bible characters as people who just had it together. They were saints, they walked around with halos on their head all the time. And that's not true at all. In fact, the Bible is full of incredibly broken and flawed and struggling people, just like me and you. And so if you're moving into 2019 and you're thinking to yourself, man, I really want a fresh start. I want to make some progress in this area of my life, could be spiritual, could be health, could be relationship or financial or any other number of things. If you want a fresh start, we're going to look at the story of one person in the Scripture this morning because I think what he went through can help those of us who were looking for a fresh start, looking to make some progress in our life. So this morning, we're gonna talk about the story of one of Jesus' original followers, a dude by the name of Peter. Have you heard of Peter before? A few of you guys have. Peter is a pretty important guy in the Bible. He was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, and he turned out to kind of be the leader of the 12 disciples. Peter was one of those guys who was all heart and mind. He tended to just talk a lot. Um, he was one of those guys that would just say and do whatever he wanted in the moment and then deal with the consequences later on. I think Peter would have made a great defenseman on your hockey team. Just smash through stuff and we'll deal with it all later on. That was Peter. He was ready, fire, aim. I mean, he was all over the map. He was a crazy guy. And so because of his personality and because of his willingness to put himself out there, he had these incredibly high moments and these incredibly low moments. We're going to talk about a few of those this morning. I've I've plotted out Peter's life on a graph. Don't you love it when a speaker says, I've got a graph for you this morning. It's the worst way ever to start a message, but that's what I did. Because you're going to see this track through Peter's life today in which he's got these really awesome peaks and these really terrible valleys. It starts with his calling. We're not going to read all of this. I'm going to catch you up and then we're going to pick up the story halfway through this plot line here. Uh, Peter is with his brother, Andrew, and they're fishermen. And so they're out fishing one day and this rabbi named Jesus comes on the scene and he says, hey, Peter, hey, Andrew, um, I'd like for you guys to come follow me. And they're like, ah, we don't know who you are and we're kind of busy, we gotta work today and things like that. And so Jesus says, all right, let's get in the boat and let's go fishing. So they go fishing and they catch a miraculous number of fish. And Peter and his brother, Andrew, are like, whoa, this guy's special. And so they get back to the shore and once again, Jesus says to Simon Peter, why don't you come follow me? and the scripture tells us that he leaves behind his family business, he leaves behind his relationships, and he goes on a three-year journey walking through ancient Palestine to follow Jesus. That was a high point, this moment of calling that Peter had. One day, Jesus had the rest of his disciples around and he's talking to his boys and he's like, all right, fellas, what are people saying about me out there? Who who do people say that I am? And they're all like, well, some people think that you're this Old Testament character reincarnated and some people think that you're this person and, you know, on and on like that. And Jesus says, well, who do you guys think I am? And you can imagine all the 12 disciples and they're like, what should we say? I don't you know what he wants us to say? In I don't know what he wants to say. And Peter steps up and he says, we believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the first person to confess Jesus as God's son. That took a lot of guts because Jesus could have been like, no, you're wrong, sit down, stop talking. You know, I mean, that would have been really awkward in front of all of his friends, right? And yet he had the gumption, he had the courage to step up. And so he had this amazing high point where Jesus called him and then he confesses Christ as the Messiah. And then it goes downhill. Like for a long time, things start trending south for poor old Peter." There comes a time where after he confesses Jesus as God's son, like God in a bod, God in the flesh, and Jesus says, now listen, guys, I want you to understand that I'm actually going to die. I'm going to be crucified, and uh, it's not going to be pretty, but don't worry, things are going to work out okay. And the Bible tells us that this guy named Peter actually pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, 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 don't, don't talk about dying. We would never let that happen. I'll go to battle for you. I am ride or die, son. He, he rebukes The son of God, the same one that he just called the Messiah. He says, stop talking about that stuff. You're crazy, right? That's kind of a low point. You don't take the son of God aside and rebuke him and tell him he's wrong. And yet that's precisely what Peter did. So the story goes on. And we read a few weeks ago about how Jesus has the last supper with his disciples. They're all in a room. It's like the the last night of Jesus' life. He's betrayed by the apostle Judas, right? And when the um, when the Roman authorities show up to arrest Jesus, Peter goes all last action hero on these guys. They show up to arrest Jesus. Jesus knows it's coming. He's ready. He's waiting for it. And when the guards show up, the Bible tells us seriously that Jesus pulls out a long knife or a short sword and he goes to chop off the head of one of the guards that came to arrest Jesus. But remember, Peter's a fisherman. He's not a special ops warrior. And so when he swings his knife at the guard, he misses and he cuts off his ear, right? That's a low point. I'm gonna tell you, if you have an attempted murder sometime in 2018, that was probably a low point in your life. This was a low point for Peter. Jesus was not proud of Peter. In fact, now uh, Jesus rebukes Peter and says, knock that off, fool. And he heals the man, thankfully, puts his ear back. You know, I mean, he takes care of him, right? But this was a low point. Now you would think, okay, he rebuked Jesus. That's as low as you could go, right? No, because he had the attempted murder. That's as low as you could go, right? No, it goes even lower than that. Because Jesus makes a prediction about Peter. Peter's talking all this noise, and he's like, Jesus, I'll never let them take you alive. Even if everybody else deserts you, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says about Peter, listen, before this night is over, you're going to deny me three separate times. And of course, Peter's like, no way, that would never happen. That would never happen. So fast forward a little bit after the guards come. Jesus, uh, Peter tries to chop off the guy's head and Jesus heals him. He's arrested. He goes to trial. And later that night, uh, Peter has followed Jesus and he's standing around outside of the area where the court is taking place. And the Bible says that he's warming himself by a fire. And there are these people that are standing around. Some of them are older, some of them are younger. And they say to him, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of those Jesus guys' disciples? And Peter gets scared because he's afraid that he's about to get arrested and face the same fate as Jesus. And so he says, no, not me, I'm not one of them. And, and they're like, yeah, you kind of sound like one of his followers. And he's like, no, it's not me, I'm telling you guys. And somebody else is like, dude, I'm sure I saw you walking around with Jesus. And so to prove you know, he's not a Christian, he's not a follower of Jesus, the Bible actually says that Peter starts cursing. You know, He's like, heck no, he just starts laying it out there so that they'll think, okay, he's, he's not one of Jesus' people. In that moment, in that exact moment, the Bible tells us a rooster crows and Jesus happened to be being led to a different building. And when that rooster crowed, the Bible tells us Jesus looks over at Peter and Peter realizes Jesus predicted this was gonna happen. Earlier in the night, I said, there's no way I'll ever deny you. And just like that, he denied him three times. Do you remember what Peter did when that happened? Do you remember how he responded? The Bible says, he wept bitterly and he ran away. He wept bitterly and he ran away. Now, we're going to pick up Peter's story here, the rest of the plot line that I'm showing you. We're going to pick it up here in John chapter number 21. But I want you to understand that as we start reading these verses, there is a great deal of shame inside of Peter because he's had these incredible highs. He was the first one to confess Jesus and all that stuff. And then in the, sh- in, the, in the space of just a couple of hours, he's had lows that most of us cannot even imagine. So in John chapter number 21, the Bible starts speaking here in, in verse number one, the apostle John is kind of recording what happens. And he says this, Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, who we've been talking about. Also Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, probably because he was a twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. There were two sons of Zebedee. And then there were two other disciples who apparently don't even get named. I don't know what they did to tick off John, but he's like, I'm not even including their name in the Bible. Okay, later, Jesus appears to his disciple. Later than what? Later than his death, burial, and resurrection, okay? So this is after the lowest point in Peter's life where he's denied Christ. This is where he feels so terrible. He feels like there is no way forward. He can never make up for what he's done. The Bible tells us that Jesus shows up. So in verse number three, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing, and the other disciples said, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, if you're, if you've never read this story before, if you just look at it at first glance, you might be thinking they're going fishing. Like is Peter just looking to relax and blow off some steam? I mean, he's, you know, he's like, I don't have anything better to do. Maybe I can go get some food or something like that. No, he's not doing this for fun. And he's not doing this for relaxation. The scripture here tells us that they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. How many of you guys know you don't fish unsuccessfully all night just for fun. That's miserable. If you don't catch anything when you're fishing, you hate it. And so he's not out there relaxing or blowing off steam. He's not out there just trying to catch a little fish because that's his hobby. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. And so when he says, I'm going fishing, what he's really saying is, I had an opportunity that I blew. I thought my life was going to get better and go in a different direction. And I was gonna be one of Jesus guys forever. And it was gonna be amazing. And instead I blew it. And so now I guess the only thing I have left is to go back to my old way of life. The only thing I can hope for is a return, excuse me, return to the family business and hope that, you know, I can make out, just eke out a living. That's what I'm hoping for. So he's going back to his old way of life because as far as he's concerned, his dream is dead. As far as he's concerned, he's made one too many mistakes. He's hit such a low point that he could never come up out of this valley that he's in. Peter started to feel something that you and I often feel. And that is, you know, sometimes safe is better than satisfying, isn't it? We could just do what's safe and easy, what's comfortable, what we know. We just fall back into the same patterns, the same ways of relating to each other or dealing with our problems and issues and things like that. We just fall back into what's easy, what's safe, what's comfortable. And that's precisely what Peter's doing here. He's taking the easy way out. He's going back to his old way of life. Can I tell you, particularly, if you are here this morning and you're looking for a fresh start in 2019, the worst thing you can do is to go back to doing what's safe and comfortable and easy. If you wanna change, whatever the change might look like in your life, the worst thing that you can do in 2019 is to do what you did in 2018. Now, look, that's gonna be your inclination. You're gonna want to keep doing what you've been doing because it's simple, it's safe, you know what to expect. But if you continue to live the way that you always have, you're going to have the exact same results that you always have. And so Peter is trying to go back to his old way of life, but Jesus is not having it. Now, it's interesting to me, That when Peter says, I'm going to go fishing, the other disciples who are around say, yeah, we'll go with you too. We'll come too. See, Peter, even though he had made this giant mistake, he was still a leader. He was still a person of influence. And so when he said, I'm gonna go fishing, the other disciples said, hey, we'll go with you as well. Can I tell you that you are a leader? You are a person who has influence over others. It might just be your kids. It might be people at work. It could be your neighborhood or maybe your organization, whatever it is. You are a person of influence, just like Peter. And your influence doesn't go away just because you've had some low points and the people who are influencing you are incredibly important as well. Peter says, I'm gonna go fishing, and all the other disciples are like, well, I don't have anything better to do. I guess I'll follow suit. And so he's trying to pull them back into their old way of life as well. Do you know this is why we tell you all the time how important it is to be in a connect group? to surround yourself with people who will influence you, who will lead you to where God wants you to go instead of back into your old habits and your old ways of life. If you wanna make some change in 2019, you may actually have to carve out some people because they're gonna keep pulling you back to what's safe and what's comfortable. They're gonna pull you back into your same habits, your same sins. They're gonna get you to do what you've always done. But if you wanna make progress, you have to be able to say no to people who will influence you away from the direction that God wants you to go. So the Bible tells us that Peter and the the boys go fishing. They're in the boat, and all night they catch nothing. Nothing. They can't even get their old way of life right anymore. This is God's love at work in their lives. The reason that they caught nothing was not just because they had the wrong bait. It wasn't just because they were fishing at the wrong time of day or in the wrong section of the lake. They caught nothing because God was intervening in their life. He was making sure that when they went back to their old habits, they didn't find any pleasure or satisfaction in them. They didn't get anything that they wanted out of this fishing expedition. What's God going to do? Just let his children go? Like Peter has said, okay, I've screwed up so bad that God would want nothing to do with me. So I'm going to go back to my old way of life. I'm going to give up on my dream. I'm just going to try to eke out a living and God is not going to have it. And so he intervenes and they catch absolutely nothing on this little fishing trip. Often the very best thing God can do for us is to frustrate our plans often the very best thing is for God to make it so we hit roadblock after roadblock. We throw out empty lines that never pull anything in. The reason that God does that is because he has to convince us that often our way of life is not working. It's not working. And because we are his children, just like Peter was his child, even though we've had these very low moments over the last year, God is not done with us. And so we can try to run away. We can try to fall back into our old ways and habits, but God won't allow it. He's going to come after you in the same way he comes after Peter. So at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, "'Fellows, have you caught any fish?' Now, this is interesting to me. Why couldn't the disciples recognize Jesus? Were they just too far away, or was it because it was dark or whatever? No, in fact, what we find out is that Jesus was preventing them from seeing who he was. This was a conscious choice that he prevented them from seeing who he was. In fact, Jesus did this multiple times during his post-resurrection appearances. After he'd been crucified, buried, and resurrected, he often made it so that he could be right next to people and they would not see or understand who he was. This happened with Mary when she went to the tomb. Now, this is not Mary, his mother. It's a different lady named Mary. She goes to the tomb. She wants to see the body of Jesus. And when she gets there, his body's gone. And she starts crying because she thinks somebody's stolen the body. And when she's crying, she senses somebody behind her. And the the man behind her, who happens to be Jesus, says, Mary, why are you crying? She's like, because they took my Lord's body, you know. And he's like, well, what, what, what do you want? What do you want? I just want to see him. She's crying. And the Bible tells us she supposes that he's the gardener. That's what she thinks. She thinks he's there to like trim the hedges. I don't know if he had a pair of scissors in his hand and he's just like, so what are you crying about, lady? He knew what she was crying about, but he asks her anyway. And in fact, he prevents her from recognizing who she is. And finally, he says, Mary, when she hears her name in his voice, she turns around and she sees that it's Jesus couple of days later, there are disciples that are walking from Jerusalem to a city called Emmaus. It's a seven mile journey. And as they're walking along, there are just two of them and they're talking, man, I can't believe Jesus died. This is so crazy. And as they're walking along, Jesus comes alongside of them. But he prevents them from recognizing who he is. And so he's like, hey, boys, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been happening with this Jesus guy? And he's like, no, tell me about it. And so they start telling Jesus about his own death, burial, and resurrection, right? And so they have no idea it's him. They walk for seven miles, and Jesus is explaining uh, how you know, his death, burial, and resurrection actually fulfills Old Testament scripture and all these different things. And the Bible tells us when they get to Emmaus, Jesus pretends like he's going to keep going. He's like, well, it's been a fun walk, guys, but I'm out of here. And they're like, wait, 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 do you want to come to dinner? You seem to know a lot about the Bible, and you want to come to dinner at our house? And he's like, well, sure, I, I don't have anything better to do. So he goes to dinner with these boys. And the Bible says that while they're around the table, that, that Jesus, although they don't know it's him, he prays over the meal, and he divides up the bread. And when he breaks it, he's like, surprise, boys, it's me. And then he disappears. And they're like, whoa. That was Jesus. We had no idea it was him the whole time. So the Bible says they run from Emmaus, the whole seven mile journey back to Jerusalem. And they find the disciples in the upper room. And they're like, we've seen Jesus. He's actually alive. We can't believe it. It was a crazy miracle. This is what happened. They explain the whole thing. And then Jesus terrifies all of the disciples because he just appears instantly in the upper room. He didn't walk in the door. He just showed up and he's like, hello. And they're like, ah! In fact, the Bible says he terrified the disciples by saying, peace be with you. Okay, in all three of these instances, Jesus prevented people from recognizing who he was. Why am I bringing all this up? Here's what I think. There are some of you who have been interacting with Jesus this year, and you just didn't recognize it was him. In 2018, he was trying to do something in your life. There were circumstances that happened. You think, oh, that sucks. And no, it's God intervening, so you don't catch any fish, and you realize he's trying to do something. You've been interacting with Jesus and you had no idea he was there. Just like Peter, just like Mary, just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So there's a good chance you've been interacting with Jesus. Now look at what the the verse goes on to say. He calls out, fellows, have you caught any fish? And the way he asks it in the original language, he actually asks it as a negative. And he says, you guys haven't caught any fish, have you? What he's saying is your way of dealing with the grief and the guilt and the regret that you have, it's not making things any better, is it? You, you, you went back to your old way of life. You gave up on your dream. You thought it was too late. You had made one too many mistakes. And so you figured, well, it's all over now. And Jesus says, that's not working out for you, is it? Your way of life is not giving you what you wanted. And they respond honestly. And they say, no, we haven't caught any fish. So then Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. Then John turned to Peter and said, it's the Lord. They didn't know till this catch of fish happened. Now, this is an incredibly important moment because Jesus is recreating for Peter the moment in which he called him. This is exactly what happened way back at the beginning, at the high point that we showed you. When Jesus showed up and his brother Simon and he, or his brother Andrew and he were out fishing and they couldn't catch anything. And Jesus says, I want you to fish on this side of the boat. And they take in so many fish that they couldn't haul them all in. Jesus is recreating the exact moment. And when it first happened, Jesus, uh, they haul in the fish, they row the boat to shore. And as soon as they get out on land, Peter says to Jesus, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Jesus doesn't say, no, you're not, it's okay. We all make mistakes, Peter, it's okay, come follow me. He says, yeah, you are, and I don't care. I love you, you're mine, I want you. I want you to stop being a fisherman and I want you to become a fisher of men. I've got a plan for your life. And so Peter goes and follows him. He goes through these low points. He has these regretful situations. And so Jesus recreates the moment in which he called him so that he can say to Peter, Peter, the invitation to a relationship with me is still open. You haven't gone too far. You haven't messed up too much. You haven't sinned so badly. Even your attempted murder is not enough to disqualify you from my love. I still choose you. Can I say that's exactly what Jesus is saying to you this morning? You carry around regrets. There are things that happened in 2018. You're like, oh my gosh, I hate me. I'm sure God hates me too. No, he doesn't. This was a miracle for Peter's benefit. I believe God wants to do a miracle for your benefit. He wants to show you the invitation to relationship is still open. He's still your father. You're still his child. He still loves you and wants to redeem you. In recreating this, he's communicating. God still loves Peter. He's not angry. He's not looking at Peter saying, Peter, get out of the boat. What the heck are you doing, man? Peter's gone back to his old way of life. He thought it was all over. So he went back to fishing. He's not yelling at him. He's not chastising him. He's not judging him. Instead, he's loving and he's gentle and he's restoring. That's exactly how Jesus is to every single one of us, despite our low points, despite our failures, despite the things that we regret and wish never happened. He's not yelling at you. He's not here to judge you. We read last week, John three seventeen. the Bible says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the entire world would be saved through him. So the story goes on. The Bible says here, uh, what verse are we in? When Simon Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He had taken off his shirt, and he was just doing his fisherman thing. And the Bible says he jumped into the water and he headed to the shore. And the Bible says also that the others stayed with the boat and they pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only a hundred yards. It wasn't very far. Okay. This was not a pretty moment for Peter. He hears Jesus, he recognizes who it is, and he starts to understand what all of this means. And so the Bible says he puts on his clothes and throws himself into the water. Who puts on their clothes when they go swimming? I don't know, somebody who's desperate, I guess. Somebody who doesn't care what he looks like, somebody who doesn't care if he's got it all right. He just knows that Jesus has called him again. And so he's willing to be ugly. It's okay. It doesn't have to be pretty as long as it's, honest. And that's true of our relationship with God as well. It does not have to be pretty. You don't need to memorize prayers. You don't need to get your life all tidy in order so that you can show up and say, Jesus, I'm a good person. I deserve to be loved by you. No. Throw on your clothes, toss yourself in the water, and swim to him as fast as you possibly can, because he is waiting with grace and love for every single one of us. I think it's interesting that the Bible says they were only a hundred yards from shore. I think that's just one of those details that we read right over and we don't even give it a lot of thought. But in truth, it reminds me that even though I often feel far from God, I think Jesus is much closer than I realize. He's not really as far as I think he is. I think he's standing way off and he's just watching me. He's like, look at that fool out there, fishing again, like a dummy. Doesn't he know I called him and I'm so mad? No. Instead, he's nearby, and he's welcoming, he's inviting. He's calling us back into a relationship with Him. Listen, if you want a relationship with God, it does not have to be pretty. it just needs to be sincere. It just needs to be honest. It just needs to be real, and God will meet you at your point of need. So the scripture goes on and it says, "When they got there, they found that breakfast was waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Isn't it strange? They're out fishing? They're trying to get fish and Jesus already has exactly what they're looking for. Some of us are out fishing. We're looking for things, validation, money, safety, comfort, pleasure, passion, meaning. And the whole time Jesus is holding it in his hand. If we went to him in the first place, we wouldn't have to go through the trouble and heartache of fishing and catching nothing. Jesus already has what they need. So the Bible says they get there and he's making breakfast, and he's cooking it on a charcoal fire. You know there are only two charcoal fires that occur in the entire Bible? Only two. Here, and it also happens to be the exact same kind of fire that Peter was warming himself by the night that he denied Christ. And so not only a few minutes ago did Jesus recreate the miracle in which he called Peter, now he's recreating Peter's moment of failure. He's bringing him to his lowest point, the, 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 the point that he thought he had gone too far and ruined it, and there was no hope. There was no way to come back. And the reason that Jesus is doing this is not to hurt Peter. It's not to make him feel bad. He's not trying to make him relive the pain. He wants him to relieve the pain. He wants to heal him. He wants to show him that he can come back from this low point, that there are peaks ahead of this valley, that through his grace, he can find new purpose, a fresh start and a refocus on the things that really matter. He's going to create a moment which is going to be very painful for Peter, but it's going to be incredibly necessary. So they cook this fish by the charcoal fire. And Jesus, the Bible says, after breakfast, asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't really know what he means here by do you love me more than these. He could have been pointing at fish. Or he could have been pointing at the disciples. He could have been like, do you love me more than John and James and more than they love me? He could have also been pointing at the fish and he's like, you went back to your old way of life. Which do you want? Do you want the old ways or do you want the new ways? Do you want safety or do you want significance? Do you wanna do something that will matter or do you wanna settle for a safe income and a nice, comfortable, middle-class life? What is it you want, Peter? Which do you love more? I don't know, maybe Jesus just pointed to a disciple eating a fish. So he covered both bases and he's like, do you love me more than these? The guy's like, I don't know. Do you love me more than these? And Peter says, of course, you know that I love you, Lord. And Jesus says, I want you to feed my sheep. And then Jesus asked him again, do you love me more than these? And Peter's like, I just said, yeah, of course I love you. And he asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things I love you. And so a third time, Jesus says, feed my sheep. He's recreating the moment in which Peter denied him three times and allowing him to affirm or claim Jesus three times because he can't just wave a magic wand over our past, over our problems. Let's just forget this happened. This is not the past you're looking for. Forget it, right? Instead, Jesus actually has to do something about our mistakes. He has to do something about our pain. He has to do something about our regret. He can't just say, ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. And so he recreates this moment of great failure for Peter again, not so that he can hurt Peter, so that he can heal Peter. Not so that he forces Peter to relive all this anger and pain and heartache and angst, but so that Jesus can relieve all of that for him. He recreates this moment so that every time in the future, when Peter hears a rooster crow, he doesn't think, I denied him three times. He thinks, Jesus forgave me three times. He restored me. He gave me new purpose. My past doesn't define me. My future does. My lack of faith doesn't dictate who I am. Instead, my faith in a gracious savior is what will dictate what happens to me in the days to come. When Jesus forces Peter to acknowledge his denial three separate times, he's reminding him that sin, it has consequences, but he is able to overcome all of it. I'll just tell you, for some of you, you've got to recognize that you cannot move forward in 2019 until you deal with the stuff from 2018 or 17 or 1998 or 1983. Jesus forced Peter to deal with his lowest moments. Our inclination is to avoid those, to just go back to what's safe and comfortable, to our old way of life and pretend it never happened, never talk about it, not deal with it. But Jesus knows that in order for us to make progress, whether it's in our relationship with him or in any other area of our life, we've got to deal with the stuff, the baggage that we're carrying around. And again, the great news is Jesus gives you the power and the grace to deal with it. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You can trust in his love, in his forgiveness, and the empowerment of his spirit so that you can move beyond your sin and into this world-changing future that he has for every single one of us it's the most incredible gift that we could ever be given and we ignore it we walk away from it we pretend like it has no merit or point in our life now here's one cool thing and we'll wrap up jesus points Peter backwards because he's got to deal with this sin. He can't just pretend like the wounds and the hurts and the regrets are not there. It doesn't work. Your way of life is not working. So he points him backwards, but he also points him forward. He says, do you love me? That's backwards. Let's address the denial. Now I want you to feed my sheep, points him forward. I've got a plan. I've got something I want you to do. This is precisely what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants you to acknowledge the pain and regret that you're carrying around, to allow him to conquer it through his grace, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. And then he wants you to leave it behind so that you can focus on making a difference in the world. Jesus has called you and me in the same way he's called Peter to feed his sheep. The world is full of sheep. They need shepherds. You're a shepherd. You have leadership. You have influence. You say, no, not me. You've got the wrong guy. That's exactly what Peter said. And he was dead wrong and so are you. God wants to make a difference through you, but you've gotta deal with the pain and the hurt that you've never dredged up and faced up to. And then you've gotta allow Jesus' death and grace to cover it. And then you've gotta give yourself over to something bigger than yourself. Can I just tell you, the worst thing you can do in 2019 is say, I just need to focus on me in 2019. There may be things you need to do for yourself, but the worst thing you can do is become more self-involved. The best thing you can do is to go beyond yourself, to love and to serve other people. Get, get involved on the dream team, you guys. Start serving people at your work or in your neighborhood. Feed his sheep. If you get so hung up on the past or so hung up on yourself, you will miss out on the calling and opportunities that God has for you in twenty eight nineteen and beyond. God's plan is bigger than your problems. It is bigger than your regrets. His grace is sufficient for every single one of your weaknesses. Maybe we could summarize it like this. We'll just jump ahead two slides. Thanks, Tanya. We could summarize it like this. A fresh start requires forgiveness and refocus. That's what you are going to need in 2019. You, you don't just need more discipline. If it were simply a matter of discipline, then you would have disciplined yourself to where you wanted to be. But it's more than that, particularly when it comes to the deepest needs in our life, our anxiety, our hatred, our hurt, our fears. Those things you cannot discipline yourself out of, but you can trust in Christ's forgiveness And you can allow him to refocus your mind and heart in 2019 on things that will really matter. I'm looking for a fresh start in 2019, you guys. There are high points and low points that I'm ready to move on. I am ready for something new and different and hopefully even better in 2019. And the only way that I'm going to find it is by trusting in Christ's forgiveness and the focus, the calling, the plan that he has for mine.